from our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Hey, welcome back to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today on the pod, we have Congressman Jared Huffman. And we're going to talk, do something a little bit different today. Instead of talking about uh, politics, we're going to talk about God. Because Congressman Huffman is the only person in Congress who has come out and said he does not believe in God. That is very unusual, especially given the how politics and religion is tied together in this country. So we're going to have a really deep dive on that with him. It's, it's really interesting stuff. I, I encourage you to stick around. And we're here at on the next episode of It's All Political. And we're here with Congressman Jared Huffman. Uh, your turf, it represents, you represent from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Oregon border, correct? It's an amazing piece of real estate. That yes. has got to be the prettiest district in, in the world. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in here. And before we start talking, we got, I have to share a, uh, an anecdote from a story from when you were running for Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I covered perhaps uh, one of the greatest political events, <laughs> fundraisers of all time, in which you had a fundraiser at the Lagunitas Brewery. My hootenanny. Your, your, your hootenanny. <laughs> and not only that, you played guitar with the band that included the Grateful Dead's. Mickey Hart. I did. That, How, that, explain your connection to Mickey Hart. That, that was the high water mark of my musical career, <laughs> I want you to know. You played I, I Am a Patriot, was it? I did. Yes. We did this uh, Jackson Brown kind of covered it. It's a little Steven song, actually, yeah. Stevie Van Zant, uh, called I Am a Patriot. And uh, Mickey Hart uh, lives in Sonoma County, lives near Sebastopol. His wife, Carol, uh, is a is a great champion for our parks. In fact, she was the Sonoma County Parks Director for many years, and so I've gotten to know them, and they're great friends and environmentalists and supporters. So, yeah, he came to my event and sat in with the band, and the band lets me play with them from time to time, so we have a lot of fun. Wow, that was that was great. And, but you were wearing a tie, I believe. Were you wearing a tie? That, I I'm think I to was wearing that a tie. Was, I hadn't wear quite loosened up yet. Uh, okay, you have not. So, and you're tieless right so, now. I'm tieless for, right now. I wear a lot less ties these days. Do you? Yeah. Even in, in Washington? Yeah. Well, no, you, you, there you are rules of decorum to. on the floor of the house, yeah. uh, so you have to wear a tie there. Is that unusual to not wear a lot of ties there? Um, it is, yeah. If, if you walk into the floor of the house without a tie, uh, usually a, uh, a sergeant will walk up and tap you on the shoulder and shame you. And, yeah. uh, Do they have a rack of ties you can borrow? Or, yeah, yeah okay. there's, <laughs> there's ways to solve that problem. All right. Well, let's talk about something. We, we did a call in the Chronicle a while back, and... You have done something, we're going to talk about issues, uh, facing the more current issues, but we're here to talk about God today. And a while back, as we wrote recently, that you did something truly radical for a member of Congress. You said you don't believe in God. Mm -hmm. Now, to put that in context, there are currently seven out LGBTQ members of Congress, but there are no out non-believers. In fact, 91% of Congress identifies as Christians, which is something like the way it was in the mid-60s. Um, Tell us about how you decided to come out, as it were. Well, I was surprised when I got elected to Congress uh, how immediately uh, all of these uh, publications 
wanted to do profiles of the new members of Congress, and your religion was like one of the first things they wanted to know. And when I began telling them I don't really want to to do that, you know, I would do decline to state. I would say none of your business. Uh, They they would always press and push. And uh, so I I basically changed the subject and managed to avoid the conversation for a few years. But uh, uh, last year, a group called the Free Thought Equality Fund uh, asked me if I wanted to fill out their questionnaire and, and get their endorsement. And they are really all about this separation of church and state. And uh, uh, they're, they're an arm of the American Humanist Association, which is a non-religious uh, way of thinking. So I, I said, sure, I'll fill out your questionnaire if you want to endorse me. I, I won't decline your endorsement. And uh, they saw my answers to the questionnaire, and they got very excited. They're like, you don't believe in a God. You don't believe in religion. And uh, we do want to endorse you. And in fact, we want to kind of tell the world about it. And I said, fine, I'm, I'm just not going to hide from this issue anymore. And so let's, let's walk back and how you got there. And I just want to say, up front, that you are not anti-religious. Not uh, at your, all. Your, your wife no. is Catholic, uh, yeah. practicing Catholic. Your kids are being raised Catholic. I spent and... a good part of my life very religious. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I have uh, no hostility toward religion. Uh, in fact, as you and I, you and I have gone deep on the subject yeah. of religion, um, I told you I'm a little envious of people that have religion in their lives because it can provide a lot of meaning. It can really do some some nice things for people. It can provide a sense of community. And those of us that no longer have that belief uh, sometimes struggle for other ways to find, you know, that that purpose, that sense of explanation, and that sense of community and congregation. Yeah. So let's, let's roll back to, you grew up in uh, Independence, Missouri. Yeah. And uh, you were raised as a Mormon. Yeah. Ex- Independence, Missouri, the, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a town of some significance yes. in, in the, the Mormon world. It's a, it's a town that Joseph Smith, the founder of the Latter-day Saints, uh, believed that God told him Independence, Missouri would be where the kingdom of heaven on earth uh, is located, believe it or not. Now, if you've ever spent time in Independence, Missouri, you might have on on the trail. You might scratch your head a little at at that proposition. But that's what uh, that's what Joseph Smith believed. And uh, there there was a schism in the Mormon church that uh, came about after Joseph Smith was lynched in Nauvoo, Illinois. And one group followed Brigham Young out to Salt Lake City. Another group went to Independence, Missouri. Uh, eventually following Joseph Smith's son, uh, and that was the reorganized Latter-day Saints. That was the church that I grew up in, I, and I actually came to be in the in the priesthood of that Yeah, so you were uh, kind of being church. groomed as, uh, to be an elder as the church. I was yeah. active. I was, yeah. a, I was a believer. I was, uh, I was one step below elder. I was a teacher in the, in the ladder of their priesthood. It goes deacon, teacher, actually then priest, and then elder. And your, your, your folks were uh, Mormons as well? Well, okay. reorganized, reorganized, Re- reorganized Mormons. Mormons. Yeah. Okay. Um, what was, what did you get out of it at that point? Uh, well, it was a big part of my childhood. I mean, it was, uh, the kids that I associated with the, the sports leagues that I played in, you know, it was the social fabric of my childhood and there was a lot of good that came out of that. Mm-hmm. So when did that change? When I went off to college, uh, when some things started happening in my life that I couldn't reconcile, uh, with with some of my religious dogma anymore. You were you went to UC Santa Barbara. UC right? Santa Barbara. Yeah. What, when you start happened? asking questions, sometimes the uh, well, I guess that's it. You start asking questions, and and things can really unravel pretty quick uh, 
in the world of, of uh, religion. And the you start questioning sort of the unexplainable, or the, the you started seeing more of the scientific value of things as opposed to sort of the religious spiritual explanations, or how did that work? Kind of all of it. You start yeah. taking religious studies classes and understanding the origins of a lot of this. Um, you just start meeting all sorts of different people and challenging your own precepts about what makes a person good, uh, what doesn't. Uh, there are things that, you know, this, this begins to get fairly personal, but yeah. uh, somewhere along the line when I was 19, my father died. I had a really hard time understanding uh, why a rotten thing like that could happen in my life because I thought I was a person of faith and bad things like that were supposed to not happen. And so you start to question the whole idea of an intercessory God. Uh, you know, when when we hear, and I hear it all the time, I hear people that have gone through rotten experiences but made it out okay, and they're like, you know, God... God carried me or God was looking out for me. Well, what about these other people that didn't make it out? So you begin asking, for me at least, you begin asking questions. Uh, and it all just started to unravel for me. And what did your, what did your family say? What did your mom say about this? I didn't talk to my mom a lot about it because mm-hmm. she remained very religious all the way through her life. And she just died last year. So mm-hmm. that was kind of part of what freed me yeah. to publicly uh, identify as non-religious. She would have been... Not very happy about that. She would have that. been hurt by that. Yeah. So, so it's, it yeah. was easier to come out then. Right. So now the the way that religion is used in political context is, you know, fraught to yeah. say the least. Yeah. Where That's where, part where of does, it. Yeah, where That's part of see, why I wanted yeah. to just kind of step out because I think there has to be space for someone who's not religious to serve in the United States Congress. We have plenty of people who use the platform of being in Congress to proselytize and to try to represent themselves, not just as, um, as members of Congress, but sort of as faith leaders. And I find a fair amount of that offensive. In which, give me an example. Uh, let me give you an example that's very fresh from the state of the union address. So uh, there were a whole bunch of throwaway lines in Donald Trump's state of the union address. Uh, you know, he had one point where it's almost like he was, uh, throwing out things that he knew would be applause lines. How about the flag? And everybody stands and claps for, you know, a minute and a half for the flag. How about this beautiful U.S. Capitol? Oh, yeah, we love the Capitol. How about God? Everybody stands and claps for God. So that was an example of, you know, just a complete throwaway from Donald Trump. But but later uh, in his speech, one of his final lines uh, was even worse. I I think he had this, he was trying to build to, I guess what passes for a crescendo in a in a weak and lethargic State of the Union address from President Trump, where he's just reading words from a teleprompter. And he had this line about, you know, America will continue to be great if we stay true to our God. And I heard him say this, and I'm I'm just thinking, does anyone think he really believes that? And I looked across the the floor at one of my Republican colleagues, I won't tell you who, but it a conservative Republican from the state of Missouri, my home state. Mm. (laughs) And he was like misting up and just nodding and just uh, shaking his head affirmatively and really buying into this line uh, that Donald Trump had just said that you know Donald Trump didn't write, didn't believe, just kind of wanted to get it over with. But that's a good example of how a lot of the folks I serve with – you should never underestimate just how important their religion is in the work they do in the U.S. Capitol. And the, the president is also 
kind of cynically manipulated religion. Let's let's be honest here with with uh, the way his appeals to the evangelical community and 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 the evangelical leaders, at least the political ones, have returned the favor. They they say you know we will overlook. Yes. You know, this, the, this what was it? Franklin a, Graham said this that he gets a mulligan on all the rotten things that he's done and continues to do, as long as I guess he gives us uh, conservative judges that will overturn Roe v. Wade. What, what is what is the problem with that? Tell, what, what, what is, what? <laughs> Other than the the rank hypocrisy of it, um, it's basically saying the thing that matters most to us is imposing our religion into the government of the United States. That's all that matters. And that's wrong. I mean, that's something that our founders said we were not going to do. So, yeah, that has been going on a lot these days, and that was part of why I felt I needed to just be honest about my religious views, and I needed to hopefully demonstrate that you don't have to be a religious zealot or a demagogue or a phony to serve in the U.S. Congress. And we also often hear the term, our religious liberties are under attack, mostly from uh, conservative uh, Republicans. What a crock that that is. Explain why that's a crock. Because it's it's a very shallow pretext to allow folks to continue to discriminate in one way or another in the name of the exercise of religion. Um, there, there's no war on Christmas. There's no <laughs> attack on keeping people from practicing their religion. I mean, we all know this. Nobody is trying to uh, attack, well, at least not in this country. Now, there are some people that are absolutely persecuting Christians in, in other countries. Uh, that's a serious thing. Any religious minority that gets persecuted that way, we should care about. That should include the Rohingya uh, mm-hmm. as well. But in this country, nobody's persecuting Christians. It's just not happening. So like if a, a, the, the classic case of uh, the, the baker who refuses to, um, who's asked to bake a cake for a same-sex couple, he says, well, that's against my religion. It's, do you consider that to be a form of persecution if he's being sued for over there? I think it's laughable to call that persecution, <laughs> to say that that's somehow preventing him from practic- practicing his religion. Now, recently, one of I think it's your favorite uh, cabinet uh, secretary, Ryan Zinke, <laughs> used uh, uh, quoted from the Book of Joshua and how it relates to the science uh, and the EPA. I'm sorry, Scott Pruitt. Scott, Scott Pruitt. Scott Pruitt. My, my bad. Scott Pruitt uh, said, um, "This is what he said to to the to uh, in a public um, to his staffers. He said Joshua said to the people of Israel, choose this day whom you're going to serve.'" This is sort of like the Joshua Principle, when he announced a lot of changes at the EPA. This is sort of like the Joshua Principle. As it relates to grants from this agency, you're going to have to choose either service on the committee to provide counsel to us in an independent fashion or choose the grant, but you can't do both. Explain a little bit about the context of what he's talking about there and, and, and your concerns about that. Well, first of all, if, if you follow this uh, reasoning. You've got to choose who you serve. We all know who Scott Pruitt serves, and that's the polluters and big oil and everyone else. So, you know, there's no secret about that. But I took offense that this guy is just reaching into the Old Testament to try to find some weird line that you could probably interpret in lots of different ways and and sort of sanctify this shilling for industry that he's doing at the EPA, just wrapping this this very corrupt agenda in religion. Uh, it's 
I think, disgraceful. It's disingenuous, but it happens all the time with this administration. And what was he doing? He was he, were, he was uh, reconfiguring the boards that review um, scientific policy. Yeah, it? he's basically saying if you uh, have anything to do with these grants, if, if you work for an organization that gets one of these grants, you can't be on my science advisory board anymore. Mm. All right. And so he's going to replace you then with shills for industry that don't get grants to do, you know, environmental work. So that's what it's all about. Do, is this an unusual, you were a former um, uh, attorney for the Environmental Defense Fund. Natural Resources Na- Defense Fund. I'm sorry, Council. Natural Resources yeah. Defense Fund. Um, what, is, that, is that ever said before? Is that an unusual take to sort of in, incorporate the, the Bible and, and sort of... Uh, environmental protection <laughs> or, or whatever that was. Oh, that, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's completely unprecedented. Yeah. I think we have had, um, a lot of evangelicals and others who bring, uh, you know, very biblical views to their work. And, and some believe, uh, you know, the, the wise use movement, uh, at times had people kind of trying to justify this aggressive use of our public lands as, uh, you know, the Bible tells us God gave us this bounty and it's our job to go out and use it. Uh, I've got a lot of religious leaders today, though, who take a very different view of what their religion tells them, that they think we should care about the planet and we should be better stewards, care about, you know, I applaud that. So, you know, as with all these things, you can probably read into various biblical verses, whatever the heck you want to. I just don't think you should come dragging the Bible into the public square and justifying public policy based on your religion. Um, at the same time, you, you are not overtly, overtly hostile to, uh, you know, religious displays. There's a lot of, there's prayers mm-hmm. all the time yep. on the floor of the house. You were, um, actually, um, when, uh, Steve Scalise, the yeah. congressman from uh, Louisiana was, there was a shooter at, uh, congressional baseball practice. You were on practicing on a different field, correct? The Democrats right. practice on one field, the Republicans right. on another. Um, when you heard that about the shooting, what happened? Tell me, tell me. What happened. Uh, well, I will tell you, we were rattled. We heard that as we were practicing one morning, I'm, I'm on the democratic baseball team. Mm-hmm. We immediately started getting word what was happening at the Republican practice. And, uh, our Democrats went into our dugout, the Capitol police started surrounding us. And, uh, yeah, the whole team engaged in prayer for Steve Scalise. I joined them. Mm-hmm. You might wonder why the heck a non-believer would do that. Right. I, I don't. I don't think prayer is a bad thing, and I don't know that you have to have a a, a certain uh, specific God belief or religious belief in order to think prayer might just be a constructive thing. And you describe yourself as searching right now. Mm-hmm. Just uh, tell us what that means. It means I I got a lot more questions than answers. I guess I've come to accept that I'll never find answers to some of these questions. But as I, as I've told you and others, um, if God ever does want to talk to me, I'll take the call. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you like? You know, some people, especially around here are say, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I, Mm -hmm. I, maybe I connect more with nature. You're certainly, you're an avid outdoorsman. You're always canoeing and and doing stuff like that. Um, what do you have something like that, that, that replaces that or, or absolutely I yeah I, I and i think nature is part of that when i'm out in the environment when i'm hiking when i'm fishing when i'm just enjoying this spectacular place that i get to live in and and represent um uh that fills i think some of the void that uh might otherwise exist um i get a little bit of that from this 
from the sense of community that I find throughout my district when I see people that are just doing good work for the homeless in food banks, you know, some of them are motivated by faith to do this. Mm -hmm. And I completely respect that. Others are just motivated by a a deep sense of of ethics and morality and and the belief, as humanists believe, uh, that we have an obligation to each other. And still, but still, you say you're, you, there's something you're, there's an, a little bit of envy that you like, you wish yeah. there was something that, that almost replaced that religious. Uh, Nothing has quite replaced some of it because yeah. it can't. I mean, right. humanists, atheists, agnostics, you, you don't have a church that you go to. You don't have a church yeah. community. I, and I think humanists and others have kind of tried to replace that. They've formed humanist associations and things like that, yeah, but, but they're, they're not generally, it's not quite the same. Ago, it's not. Like where the, there was a member. I think there may still be an atheist, uh, a lobbyist for atheists in Washington. Yeah. Because they were trying to organize, but the biggest challenge there was that, um, atheists generally weren't joiners. So it was, it was, well, we'd like to have our, our views represented, but, there was it was hard to sort of get a critical mass behind them to do yeah. that. Um, but one more thing on, on this, then we'll then we'll talk some uh, some current events. But um, you've uh, have you had some folks come up to you, your fellow members of Congress, and say, uh, "Hey, uh, how should I? I'm, you know, I kind of feel the same way. I'm not really that religious, but I kind of feel I have to be. Yep. How do I how do I come out as a how, can you can you walk me through this? Or I you... have had more people come up to me and express that than you really? would think. Wow. Uh, but what they don't say is, how can I come out? Generally, wow. they say, good for you, Jared. I totally agree with you. I could never do that. Wow. And that, why do they, why can they not do that? Do they say uh, that? The politics in their district. Yeah. Uh, they'd get crucified. Sorry, pardon the pun. <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> I'm going to walk away from that very quickly because uh, my mom might be listening. Um, the... Uh, what, how about do you, I think you told me also about someone who said I I do want to come out and you said I, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, there there was one of them too. So <laughs> there's actually a group of uh, five to seven of us oh, uh, really? who are talking right now about maybe forming some kind of secular caucus. Wow. Uh, but even in doing that, even in figuring out what you call it, you got to be careful because right. uh, while privately several of these colleagues. You know, some of them are way more strident than me. Uh, I mean, they're overt atheists. They're militant atheists. They've read the books, and wow. um, but <laughs> they just atheists. Yeah, absolutely, good band name. It sounds like it does. The militant uh, atheists, um, but but they just politically uh, don't see any upside at all to yeah. to being publicly identified. And, and then, that what would way. you? What would be the point of organizing in that way? That's that's the other thing that we need to discuss: is what is the point? What are we going to do? And I, and I think. You know, certainly a caucus where we all agree on principles of defending the separation between church and state, defending the First Amendment, you know, that's that's probably something worth doing. Um, but I don't think any of us want to go proselytize non-religion or right. atheism or anything like that. That's not what I'm all about. I, my constituents don't want me to do that, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. We want to keep religion out of the public square proselytize non-religion. That's yeah. A, quite a concept there. But we also want everyone to feel very free and respected right. as they choose to practice religion. Okay. Let's talk about the issues of the day. What I'm curious about how the tax cuts are playing in your district. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, there's certainly a very wide disparity of incomes in your district, but there's yep. also some very wealthy people there. 
uh, one of arguably one of the most liberal districts. Liberal, affluent, yeah. also diverse because I've got a lot of remote rural areas that are yes. not affluent. Um, How are they playing with that? And, and well, let's it's also just boon. say that one more thing: the, the the news of the day as we're recording this is that the the jobs uh, numbers are, are, are I'm sorry the, the the jobs numbers are out, or also the the wage um, numbers are out, and the. Wages are ticking up a little bit. As, so, as they do. At, yeah. at the tail end of a recovery, when you begin to approach full employment, that's when you finally see ra- wages begin to rise. So oh, none nice. of that should be a surprise. Okay. The, the big effect so far in my district is it's been a boon to the prepayment of property taxes. <laughs> Before, so because they were freaked out about Last it. chance yeah. Yeah. to fully deduct uh, your property taxes. So folks you know, rush to try to get... The payment of uh, of the first quarter of eighteen in before the end of the calendar year, uh, but that tells you something. That tells you a lot of people understand that they're going to take a beating uh, on their twenty eighteen twenty nineteen taxes because of the loss of that state and local tax deduction. And so, do you sense that are people okay with it? These, no these tax cuts. No, not. people are hopping mad about it. They feel like California has been targeted, and I think they're right. How about, uh, let's talk about uh, immigration. The president, as we know, is proposing a, a four-point plan, $25 billion in trust for the wall or some sort of border security, an end to family migration or chain migration, as the president calls it, mm-hmm. end to the visa lottery program, and, of course, uh, the path of citizenship for the dreamers. Where do the Democrats uh, negotiate on this. It sounds like, you know, from what we're hearing, they're okay with the with the wall or whatever it is. Well, I'm not okay with the wall. I think and, the wall is a crazy waste of money. Uh, I think. How about it, the district? Where, where's the district at on this? I, I don't think my constituents support the wall. Now, you know, would would they want me to hold my nose and accept it if I could get uh, a a really good comprehensive immigration deal done? Maybe, and I would consider that. But th- there's got to be a lot more than this in it. This is actually. Um, significantly curtailing legal immigration, this these four pillars that Donald Trump outlined in his speech. And it's also um, really insulting the way he deals with this family reunification issue, which he calls chain migration. Mm-hmm. And first of all, he, he lied in his State of the Union by saying that, you know, once someone becomes a citizen, they can bring unlimited numbers of distant relatives. And that's just not true under current law. Um, so, you know, th- there's a... There's a lot in his proposal that I take offense at and, and I think would have to change for me to support it. Where, where, where can the Democrats negotiate here? What, what could they be willing to accept, do you think? Well, certainly the idea of a path to citizenship for dreamers yes. uh, is something we want to work on. Now, a 12-year path to citizenship, I mean, that's what we had under the Senate's bipartisan comprehensive immigration deal several years ago for all undocumented immigrants in this country for 10 to 12 million of them. So Trump is taking us back quite a bit from where we were under that deal. He's saying, I'll give you that same really long, arduous path to citizenship, but only for dreamers. Hmm. So it's, it's not such a sweet deal. Uh, if this is all we get. The, uh, president and the administration is also proposing, um, to expand the, uh, to loosen the restrictions on coastal drilling, mm-hmm. except if for the state of Florida, except off of his resort, <laughs> except for the for the circle around Marlago, right? Uh, what is uh, obviously this is? They said, "Well, you know, Florida's uh, the, the Florida has pushed back." So, well, you know, we have a lot of tourism here. <laughs> what 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 position? What can California do about this? Are we in any position to to cut cut ourselves out of this deal as well? 
I think it's going to be hard to cut us out because they want to deal us in, and that that is clear. Um, however, I think this thing is on very shaky legal ground. I mean, the fact that after a single phone call with Governor Scott, Ryan Zinke tweets out a a uh, spontaneous exemption for the state of Florida because it's so unique. Gosh, they have tourism down there that depends on the coast. I guess we better not include them. I had the head of Trump's um, Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, BOEM, uh, testifying in front of me a couple weeks ago at the Natural Resources Committee. And here's a guy that ought to know uh, the reasoning behind these things that they do. And so you only have a few minutes when you're a member of Congress and, and they come around to your turn to ask a witness question. So I said to this guy, I'm going to give you all my time to explain to us every reason why Florida is different than California and South Carolina and Washington and Oregon and these other coastal states, uh, such as that would deserve this exemption that Secretary Zinke tweeted out. He couldn't identify a single reason why California was not just as unique, just as deserving of that exemption as Florida. And and that's... Um, a, a good indication that they're on shaky legal ground. As, as a longtime environmental attorney, do you think this is essentially going to be jammed up in the courts and it's not going to go anywhere? I think now they're probably wringing their hands inside the Department of Interior because they got to go back and try to come up with some legally defensible NEPA process. What that is it? Carves, Explain to us what a NEPA process is. the environmental review process that they have to do for their offshore leasing plan. Uh, such as they're opening up all the other coastal areas of the country, but not Florida for oil and gas drilling. They got to think up some way to do that, to do that carve out that, that was a political carve out clearly uh, and, and have it not be arbitrary and capricious and therefore vulnerable to legal challenge. And and I don't think they can do it. You can't thread that needle. So this, this is a, you know, this is more of the incompetence and corporate cronyism and just, buffoonery that we see with this administration on any given day all right let's let's talk uh, some some politics here some raw politics um you're you're in the congressional progressive caucus correct i am yeah um so the, the very biggest bunch of lefties in congress yes yeah, yeah. um pretty and, much yeah now the the, the democrats are you know in the last couple of years especially after um uh the losses uh, the presidency people looking for new voices so why when we they were asked to give a uh, rebuttal to the president of the United States, the state of the union, they chose a guy representative Joe Kennedy, the third, because nothing says new voices as we know, like a third generation wealthy <laughs> politician from a patrician new England family with the third at the end of his name. Come on. I mean, I, he's probably one of your buddies, but, but come on. Come I love Joe Kennedy. He's anyone. a great guy. I, all right. He's a great American. You've said that now. So why? I don't know. I don't, there? I don't make these decisions and they, they don't down. consult me when they yes, make so, these okay. decisions. Uh, but look, I think what they're trying to convey is that they're, uh, there is some generational change within the Democratic Party. There are some young, exciting leaders yeah. uh, coming on to the scene. Joe Kennedy is one of them. Um, so that's what they were going for. And uh, also, uh, I think Joe and, and to some extent the Kennedy brand um, is, is, a, uh, is a standard of Democratic values that we want to remind people of. When people think about the Kennedys, they think of service. They think of taking care of the poor and, you know, the working class and everything mm-hmm. else. And, yeah. 
And I think we want people identifying us that way. But this the, it goes, you know, we've had the, the Bushes, the Clintons, uh, yeah. the, and the Kennedys. It's a dynastic uh, throwback, isn't yeah. it? Well, it is. You're right about all that. At the same time, I will tell you, people get very excited about Joe Kennedy. He oh. has an incredible following, and, and that Kennedy mystique is still out there. Yeah. Um, who were some other voices that we we could hear of? With the, you know, you don't have to disparage your buddy anymore, mm-hmm. but, but the... Um, who who else? Who are some people that who are some truly new voices in the party that that, that should be amplified? Oh, we've got some great new voices. So we've got a a person who came in my class. Joe Kennedy was in my class as well, the class of twenty, the great class of twenty twelve. <laughs> Um, Do you have a tattoo? On <laughs> we should. Yes. We should. Uh, but one of our classmates is is uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham, who is running for governor of New Mexico, and I think she's going to be the next governor of New Mexico. She is dynamic, brilliant, hilarious, uh, just a, a real star uh, in every way. So uh, she's one that I hope you see a lot more of going forward. Uh, and, and there's just a ton. If, if you look over in the United States Senate, a freshman senator who I think could be president of the United States someday is Chris Van Hollen. Uh, I got to serve with him for a few years in the House. He was the budget chair when I was on that committee. And he is uh, he's everything that I would want to see in a president. He's super smart. He's principled. He's competent. Um, you know, that I guess the question is what effect does Donald Trump have on the way we choose presidents going forward? Some people may think everybody has to be a little Trumpian from now on. <laughs> Uh, but I sort of think we're all going to have post-traumatic stress syndrome and we're going to want to revert to someone who's maybe not that flashy, but yeah. really competent and like a smart. Pro. Bring it like a pro. Yeah, like maybe a someone, someone, someone that knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. When, uh, one more thing before, before we go is uh, uh, California is going to be the centerpiece of um, uh, the, the Democrats' chances of taking back the House. I don't know if we're the centerpiece, but we're going to contribute to that. How many, realistically, the, the, yeah. the trip is... DCCC, the, the congressional uh, uh, campaign arm of the Democratic Party, targeting, depending who you talk to, seven to ten seats. Realistically. That's too many. Yeah, too many. How I'll, many I'll be very honest yeah, with you. We're not, we're not going to produce seven to ten seats. How many do you think realistically? Realistically, three to four. Really? Yeah. Who, do, who do you think? Of? The ISIS seat? Uh, the ISIS seat, although, you know, the Republicans are going to run someone in that seat that is a lot Harder to beat than Daryl Issa. It's almost it was almost a, a blessing to them that he to the Republicans. Yeah, that's that he right. Quit. Yeah, that's right. So you, you can't take that seat for granted. That's going to be a battle. Who um, would the, who who would I think, think the those, two, there's the two Orange ones. County seats that are three Orange County seats that are very much in play. The Royce seat, mm-hmm. maybe one of our better pickup opportunities now. Uh, I think the Mimi Walters and the Dana Rohrbacher seat. Yes. Uh, now Dana Rohrbacher, thankfully, will be hanging around and running for reelection. I've spent time in Dana's house. It's uh, yes. We should be glad yes, that he is going to run for re-election, and uh, I think we'll have a great chance of taking that seat. Then you've got a few seats that, on paper, look you know really winnable. I mean, the Denham seat in the Central Valley, and Denham is just, uh, with all due respect to to the congressman, yeah, he's kind of a political cockroach. He he survives <laughs> a lot. Uh, he's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah, and then and Valadeo, do you think that's... Valadeo is going to be even harder to beat? Yeah, uh, because he's he's very well ensconced in that district, and we don't have a very deep bench down there. No, and how about uh, Knight? Do you think that's pick up? You can pick that off. I thought we should have picked it up the last time. So you know, Steve Knight is a, is obviously got more support in his district than than we 
calculated the last time around, and I think it'll be a challenge. I mean, that's one of those where if the if the blue wave is big enough, yeah, that's a seat that comes to the Democrats, but it's going to take a pretty big wave. Interesting. And uh, on the governor's race, have you picked a, uh, a, a friend there yet? Um, I haven't formally endorsed, but, you know, I, I'm very favorable to Gavin Newsom's politics. I think he's running a great campaign, and it sure looks like it's his race to lose. And on the Senate side, have you picked a... A favorite there? No, you're not going to ask me about that, are you? Yes, I am. What, 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 you're, you're running away from that. <laughs> I am. You're Can we talk away? about religion. <laughs> no, no, we already did that. Wait you're, a minute. We already talked about. There's that. a lot more you about are, religion we need to cover to, here, to, Joe. To, this is to talk to to endorse Kevin DeLeon as your progressive. I have not endorsed Kevin DeLeon. You have not yet. No. Will you? Kevin is. You're considering it. Kevin has done a great job as the as the Senate leader. I mean, I, I, one of the great things. Uh, for me, as, as I'm part of the resistance of Donald Trump back in Washington, is to watch my colleagues in the state legislature really push back and do some good leadership. So I applaud him for all that. It's going to be pretty hard for him to beat Senator Feinstein. I have, you know, that I've, I have uh, crossed swords with Senator Feinstein yes. a time or two. So, but no endorsement yet in that race? No endorsement. Wow. All right. It's a gutsy call from you. Yeah, do you it. like That's that? very gutsy now, call. Now, can we get back to religion, no, please? No, we're, we're done with that. You, <laughs> you've said enough. You've said enough in between the lines. Guys, are often thank you so much for coming on. It's all political. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me. But next me. time, bring your guitar. I brought my guitar socks. Yeah. You oh my that? God, that's that's lovely to see on my podcast. He, yeah. he is definitely he was wearing a congressman wearing socks that have guitars all over them, and we will leave you with that. Anyway. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, I really wanted to thank uh, Congressman Jared Huffman for coming on today. That was uh, it was unusual, and uh, to to talk about something uh, very personal like that, you don't often hear uh, politicians doing that. And whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, one thing is true: it's all political. You've been listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our executive producer is Fernando Diaz. Our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. And our producers are Peter Hartlove, Brittany Shell, and Claire Varellis. It's all political's theme music. We have theme music. It's called Cattle Call by Randy Clark's Crow Song. The Chronicle's Josh Zucker, who is our podcast's musical director, is on bass. If you like what you heard, good news, there's more. Listen to Chronicle Podcasts and get bonus content at sfchronicle.com backslash podcasts, plural, or subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or other streaming services.